With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast in Gwynn, Michigan at the moment. I'm Ryan Marie. John DeGeese joining me from Chicago. We've got some racing to recap from last weekend with the second round of the Fanatec GT World Challenge Australia, powered by AWS Season, and a lot of news to get to as well but we'll start with the racing on the mountain at bathurst no bathurst 12 hour this year john but i'd say we packed a lot of action into two hours of racing with gt world challenge australia over the weekend Uh, two dramatic races that both came down to the wire yeah ryan not quite like the bathurst 12 hour but seeing gt3 cars on the mountain was something pretty special and definitely brought back some good memories uh and we were really uh in tune for a, a great pair of races that really came down to the to the to the wire yeah exactly so so race one we'll start there first of all just good to see shane van gisbergen cleared to race he's been on a tear in supercars action as of late and it seems like that carried over to uh the the gt world as well teaming up with prince jeffrey ibrahim to win race one we had a late race um battle between a couple of supercars aces yeah it was quite an impressive race one win for for shane who, who got around um, garth tander in a, in a great battle between two cars in the final 10 minutes of the race and uh, ultimately became the second different pair of winners in GT World Challenge Australia history after um, after the victories in uh, the first weekend of the year at Phillip Island by um, Yasser Shaheen and, and Garth Tander. Um, race two provided even more craziness with a, a, a full-course caution uh, coming out for a crashed Audi that led to a final 13-minute shootout. And it was Shaheen, actually, who made a last lap pass in race two uh, to, on Tony Bates um, to, to get the win in the second round of the weekend at Bathurst. Um, I'd have to say the, the commentary was great. The, the, the build-up to the race was great. Um, there was a lot of other meetings a lot of other races on that weekend um all these uh between tcr and and trans am and and um, other championships in australia leading up to the bathurst six hour race for production cars um on sunday but i i think you know just looking at it from a gt perspective um the gt world challenge australia didn't uh, have any letdowns for sure yeah, the first couple of races were good at Phillip Island. I think these two even more dramatic, quite possibly. This is not a new championship, but the SRO involvement in it is new. And I'm not sure if that necessarily is the full reason why, but it does feel like there is some momentum behind GT racing in Australia that maybe hasn't been there in the last couple of years. Do you feel that too? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they've struggled for car counts in the past and still, quite frankly, are. There were 17 cars this weekend, um, down to 16 for race two after Brett Hobson's um, Nissan didn't make it to the grid. Um, He actually had a really impressive run in race one, um, running second overall in the first generation um, GTR. Um, It brought back some memories of the the Godzilla winning the 12-hour quite a few years ago. But um, going back to the series as a whole, I think, yeah, there is definitely momentum 
momentum. Um, the lockdowns in Australia right now, you know, basically their travel restrictions don't allow any international participants in or out. That includes SRO personnel, um, unless you wanted to spend, I think, 12 days in a, ho- in a hotel upon arrival, which doesn't really make much sense for a, a busy team um, uh, such as SRO and Stefan Rattel and, and Claude Sermont and, and everybody involved there. So uh, I think that this is only going to get better once things start getting back to normal in the in the in the real world here. So um, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this series develops in, in the coming months. And I think really we're going to have to look at you know what year two brings for sure. But I, I think they're definitely off to a flying start. Yeah, great to have the coverage available so easily as well through the GT World YouTube channel where you can find so much SRO racing. So if you missed all the action and this sounds interesting to you, head on over to YouTube. There's a lot that you can catch up on there from over the weekend. And as far as I'm concerned, any racing at Bathurst is worth tuning in for. Always spectacular. And these two races, certainly no exception. Let's get to some news here, John. And we'll start with a lot out of Ferrari. Several interesting stories here as of late uh, we'll start with what their gt program has in store for the future for so long linked with the michelotto uh, operation in padua italy that has done so much to to develop the gt products that ferrari has raced over the years but it sounds like changes could be coming with orica linked perhaps to a tie-in with ferrari some people maybe mistook this as an April Fool's joke, but it's no joke. Um, we believe that Orica is on the verge of taking over the production and development of Ferrari's GT cars. So that would include the GTE version or whatever but potentially could be the GTE version. We're not sure. We'll be talking about that in a little bit. But most certainly the GT3 um, uh, uh, version of the 488, and um, this could be as soon as next year. So uh, a lot of uh, question marks still hang over this. Um, our, our colleagues at Endurance Info broke the news first. Um, we have other sources that seem to indicate that the, the same is in the in the, prog- in the prog- in process. Um, no word yet from Ferrari or uh, Orica on this officially, but it is an interesting development because I, you know, you think of Ferrari, you think of Italy, you think of a homegrown car, and if it's going to be built by a French organization, and no disrespect to Orica, I think they're quite possibly one of the best organizations, motorsport organizations in the world, but it does sort of make things a bit strange if you're a Ferrari collector or a um, Ferrari enthusiast and it's actually a French-built car, not, not an Italian-built car. Yeah, and it is interesting, too, for Orica. This is going back to their roots to some degree. In recent years, we think of them primarily as a constructor of prototypes, but you've got the rich history with the Chrysler-slash-Dodge Viper program and also a tie-in with Celine at one time. So kind of neat to see them dipping their toes back into the GT waters should this come to fruition. Yeah, Orica has a lot of experience with building and preparing cars in general. So there certainly wouldn't be any concerns of them not being able to 
fulfill this kind of requirement. I know um, Ferrari makes quite a few GT3 cars every year. I don't have the exact numbers, but you just have to look at some of the grids around the world, and it's one of the most popular GT3 cars out there. So, you know, if there is a new generation GT3 coming for next year or the year after, um, you know, around the new set of regulations, I, I think Orica would be very well equipped to handle such a, a need. It is interesting, though, because of the long-time tie-in with Nicolato, that a change could be coming. And again, admittedly, this is very early in terms of our reporting on this. Um, and again, nothing official from any any side of, of this equation at this point. But do you have a sense for where the need for change could be coming from? It seems like the Ferrari GT programs, GT3 and GTE, have been quite strong in recent years. And this seems like a pretty major change. To be honest, we don't have a clear picture yet on why this change could be happening. Um, you know, a lot of people are, are thinking maybe Michelotto would take over the development of the LMH program. I guess that's a possibility, although there's been rumors that they're not involved in that either. Um, it's also understood that Orica is most likely not involved with the LMH as well. So we're still trying to get to the bottom of who's actually going to be maybe partnering with Ferrari on that front. Um, we have a story up on Sports Car 365 about the about Ferrari leaning on a lot of its F1 experience. Um, for the LMH program. So that could be a possibility there. But, you know, just looking at it big, big picture-wise, yeah, it is a bit of a, a quandary right now. Um, but we, based on our knowledge, this has been something that's been talked about for the last few months. And um, it's certainly not something that sort of came up out of nowhere in, in thin air. Okay, and you made reference to the story about uh, Ferrari incorporating folks from its F1, its GT, and even its road car divisions in the upcoming LMH program. That's an interesting read. I encourage you folks to check that out if you haven't read it already. But doubling back to the GT side of things, so much up in the air about the future of GTE in particular, GTLM in the States we know is going away after this year. What does GTE look like in the future? and Ferrari seems to be trying to prepare itself for a GTE-less future, effectively, with uh, the potential demise of those regulations. And uh, an interesting story as well coming from Ferrari, talking about a commitment to GTE, but only through 2022 as it stands right now. Yeah, our Dan Lloyd spoke to Antonello Coletta, um, who's in charge of Ferrari's GT racing, customer racing activities, and he's sort of heading up the, the LMH program, at least for now, um, being a spokesperson for, for that end, too. And he had some pretty strong quotes, I think probably the strongest from a GT manufacturer, indicating that GT3 very well could be on the horizon for ACO-run championships, you know, in the ELMS and in the FI World Endurance Championship, um, indicating that, you know, Ferrari is committed to GTE for the next two seasons, 2021-2022, but beyond that, um, it almost sounds like they're hoping that GT3 becomes 
a thing in the, those championships, and it becomes a pro-am destination for teams, for customers, while the hypercar class will be the place for factories to race. So um, seeing this development sort of cements everything we've been talking about for, for months about the future of GTE. Um, it's A, it's good that Ferrari's committed for the next two years, so that means that GTE will be around next year in the WEC. Uh, most likely that means Porsche is also committed. Um, I, I would have to think that the two manufacturers would probably have a mutual agreement of sorts as they're on a similar time frame for the launch of their um, um, top class prototype programs in 23. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting times for sure, but uh, to have this development as well sort of helps shape the future, I think, of GT racing in the ACO run series. Yeah, it definitely could provide some insight into where things are headed. Let's shift away from GT racing to LMP2 and a constant topic of conversation, it seems like, ever, ever since the hypercar regulations were announced is what's going to be done with LMP2 to try and make it fit with a slower top class, LMH replacing LMP1. And we've had some reports in recent weeks about some testing that involved a grandfathered LMP1 car running to the same performance window effectively as LMH is going to this year running alongside LMP2 and the quotes coming out of that test were there's not a big difference in pace between the two and it sounds like the ACO and FIA have come out and reacted to that with more reductions in performance coming for LMP2 this year. Yeah, this was a really big development considering there's been quite a few teams already doing preseason testing with new tire compounds under the what was announced in their configuration. And all of a sudden, everything's been changed, more or less. Um, we have a 20-kilowatt power reduction that equates to about 27 horsepower. Um, the cars are going to be 20 kilos uh, uh, increased in minimum weight. And then also, they'll have to run the Lama Aero Kit at every single race instead of just the 24 hours of Lama. And I think at Monza, too, it was allowed. Um, uh, so I'm not sure if that was going to be in the case for the WEC this year. But um, every race, LMP2s will be uh, mandated to run that low drag, um, low downforce kit. So um, a very interesting development here that was sort of pushed through the FIA World Endurance, um, Committee, Endurance Committee quite quickly. Um, it was only announced last week, last Thursday, for uh, to be precise. So um, this affects the ELMS, the WEC, and Asian Lama. Um, so far, no word on whether it impacts IMSA or not. Stay tuned for, for that development. We're trying to get some confirmation from IMSA to, to make sure um, our we suspect it doesn't for this year. It's probably something that'll come into effect for 2022 in the WeatherTech Championship. I can't see anything happening in the middle of their season, but you never know. Things can change. Um, but certainly interesting times in terms of the, the stratification um, between the different classes in the ACO run series. It is an interesting development, to say the least. And the power reduction and, and weight changes, those don't strike me as massive. But the fact that the teams are going to be forced to run Lamar Aero at every track, and, and then you can throw in the tire discussion as well, because Goodyear had a, a new tire design for this right. year, and now... Yeah they go back to, to last year's tire but I, I mean I think the arrow in particular is one where the teams have to be thinking 
this is a major change to throw at us this early or this late, I guess, in the game right before the season begins. I, it, I can't it, imagine the LMP2 teams are taking too kindly to this. It's a very costly change, too, yeah. because you're going to have to st- stack up all the spare body work with the Lamar spec body work. And, um, you know, it, it's not as simple as just adjusting a couple little things. It's ordering extra spare parts and, and retooling your existing body work with to, to adapt for the, the low drag kits. So um, Orica's going to be a very busy con- constructor these next few weeks building up spare spare kits for these LMP2 teams. So, um, yeah, it, it's certainly... And also, you, all, you can look at it from other, another perspective in terms of having perhaps less stability on the cars, you mm-hmm. know, in some of these normal tr- normal tracks and how's that going to affect the gentleman drivers and this is the first year introduction of the pro-am subclass within the lmp2 classes in both wec and elms where um it's really been encouraged to have more bronze drivers in the series so how's that going to affect things so um a lots of uh, sort of knock-on effects from this whole thing that's been caused by the Lamar hypercars being slower than um, not, I wouldn't say they're slower than expected. I would say they're just slower than where LMP1s were. You know, you just have to look at what, what the configuration these cars are running in. So, um, yeah, I I would have to say that it's um, more interesting times. And um, I guess it's good that they've made these changes before the start of a season. But it's still, we're talking a couple of weeks before Barcelona um, for the ELMS season opener. And that doesn't give teams much time at all. Right, and speaking of knock-on effects, let's go down to then series that don't even have hypercar as a class within them. So now your ELMS teams are facing these changes. That's more pressing than Asian Lamov. They have a lot more time to prepare. But what I'm interested in is now you have a very dumbed-down LMP2 for ELMS with LMP3 not that far behind in its performance window, and you can throw GTE into that mix too because in the hands of pros, the GTE cars can run um, pretty pretty close to, to LMP3 times. And it makes me wonder what the, the ultimate impact on ELMS in particular uh, is going to be um, due to changes put in place for a completely different series. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. Um, yeah, I, again, I understand the need to do it, but at the same time, there is some questions on, on why the, the the regional series would even need to make these changes. Um, I understand that they're trying to keep everything equal towards the 24 hours of Lama. That's really the the key answer there from the ACO. That you know, if these cars are in different configurations, then how do teams prepare for the 24 hours? And I could sort of see the argument there, but. At the same time, it is going to cause a lot of problems with adding LMP3 into the mix, something that the WEC doesn't have, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's interesting. Ever since Hypercar was announced and their targeted performance window came along with that, that being something lower than what we've seen with LMP1 Hybrid in recent years, we've all been talking about what's going to happen to LMP2. What are the knock-on effects? And, And it seems like... 
despite the amount of time to prepare for this, it, it, it kind of seems like the organizers have been caught by surprise, and that I find quite frustrating. So hopefully everybody can stay on top of things and, and solutions can be found. But without a doubt, this is a big curveball coming right before the start of both the ELMS and WEC seasons. Let's get to another topic of conversation, and by Collis, a name we haven't talked about a whole lot, certainly without much optimism uh, in recent months. It does sound like there might be some hope that a Baikalis program in LMH could yet materialize. They've come out and named some development drivers for, the L- for their LMH project and also said that their target is a 2022 race program. What do you make of this sudden bit of news coming out of uh, the Baikalis camp, which had been so quiet as of late? Yeah, they had been radio silent for quite a while and um, all of a sudden put out this announcement that Tom Dillman and Esteban Gutierrez will be their lead development drivers for the LMH project. Um, That comes as really good news because both drivers have been part of the program before in other other race capacities. Um, But more importantly, this sort of puts things, you know, um, uh, officially on track that the car is still planning to race. Um, We hadn't really heard much about it. We saw some great renderings of the car, I think, around the 24 Hours of Le Mans last year um, in September, but nothing had really come of it since then. So um, to get this news and get some further details that they plan to compete in 2022 is certainly good news for the, the class and to have some more diversity in the top prototype category. How confident are we that this does come to fruition? This is a program that maybe it's safe to say has overpromised and underdelivered at times, but I'm going to cling to hope. I w- it would be great to see them. Uh, back in the class, especially considering they've been kind of the stalwart privateer here for the last decade or so. I, I think it'll happen. Um, I know there was some talk of them trying to get onto the grid this year towards the tail end of the year, but um, the WEC is mandating full season entries only in Lama Hypercar, as far as I know. So I think that sort of thwarted their plans to uh, to compete in the in the championship in 2021 but um yeah certainly it's good news for the 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 sport and i i I think that it will happen um it i just have this feeling considering they've been there for so long in lmp1 um if they've gotten this far with the the development of the car i know it isn't running or anything yet but i i would have to be optimistic that it will happen I'd say that this announcement has changed my perspective. Certainly hearing something out of that camp is encouraging, and the fact that they're going and hiring drivers, and drivers that we've heard of that have some experience and and, uh, have links to the program, I think that's encouraging too. So hopefully they can make some progress on this, and we do see Baikalis on the grid in 2022, and hopefully testing long before then. And finally, let's talk about Lamar. We've discussed the potential of opening up the reserve list to some other cars um that the 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 race as at the moment is completely full but as we've talked about especially in this day and age you don't feel all that confident just on uh, the entry list that get put out by the different uh, sanctioning bodies and so as expected an additional four cars have appeared on a reserve entry list for lama what can you tell us about the programs that have materialized and their respective chances of making it into the race yeah, so this was 
kind of a disappointment to me because um, the ACO offered up to 10 spots for reserve entries and only four have actually taken up that opportunity. Um, you know, so we have the, a pair of AF Corsa Ferraris, an Algarve Pro Racing Orica, and an Aston Martin Vantage GTE from Garage 59, which is um, quite an interesting development there from that team. I think the biggest name is Sergey Sorokin in, in one of the AF Corsa cars. Um, he's on the reserve list right now um, in spot number one, alongside Christopher Ulrich and Simon Mann. Um, I would say that's probably a, an entry that very well could make it into the race. We saw, I think, seven or eight with, um, withdrawals from the race last year, and considering all of the COVID-19 situations people are still battling with this year. Um, I think the chances of one or getting one or two of the reserve entries in are, are quite good. So um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Garage 59, I think, is listed as number three on the list. Um, and we also have Algarve Pro with a third Orca Gibson, I believe. They'll be running the two G-Drive cars in the 24 hours of Loma. Um, this one will be with nominated. This one's nominated with Mark Patterson and Naveen Rao. Um, Rao, who was part of the Racing Team, team India program in the Asian Lama series that just wrapped up a few months ago. Okay, so you can find more about those entries in our story at SportsCar 365 and a lot of news up there as well, beyond what we talked about on the show here this week. Again, SportsCar365.com. It's a bit of a fallow period in sports car racing, but that won't last too much longer. Things will be ramping up here soon, so apologies for a show that's a little bit shorter than usual, but I'm sure we'll be having plenty to talk about on future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you've got a question for a future show, you can leave it in the comments section of this podcast or use the ha- hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter, and we look forward to interacting with you on a future program. Talk to you folks next week with our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast.